0: Wasn't that sweet? Sing praises to our God. It's such a joy to worship our God. He is so worthy. I, I, I often feel like when we come together words fail because if there's anything good in your life, anything uh, praiseworthy in your life. God is the giver of all that is good. It says every good and perfect gift comes from Him. So would you just join me and say praise God this morning. <laughs> he is so worthy. Oh thank you Father. Thank you for blessing us so much. Well we are in a, in a series where we are looking at the major themes and we're calling it God's story for God's glory. And it, this Bible, this book, is, is really a story about God, it, and, and we have a part, an important part in it, but God is the central uh, person. He's the center of all existence, and we began looking at God as creator. Everything that exists have its, its life, its existence, its being from him. He is the center of all existence, and we looked at God as creator, and then we looked as, at God as king, his kingdom, The the central message of the Bible is that God is king, that he is a sovereign ruler of all things. And so uh, his kingdom, his kingship is above all else. And as Christians, our primary confession, we sang it this morning, is that Jesus is Lord, (laughs) that he is Lord of all. And we have willingly, by faith, bowed our knees to him as Lord, as king over all, and received by his grace, his gift of life from him as king. And his kingdom is good. It's good news. That's why Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is hand. And, and he called it good. It's a good message. It's a good news that God is Lord and King overall. And then we looked at the covenant making God, who makes covenantal relationships with his people. Throughout the whole story of God, he's making covenantal relationships and he provides an atonement. A sacrifice to forgive and for the payment of sin. And so he makes a way for us to have a relationship with a pure and holy God, even as sinful people. And then we looked last week at the temple. And uh, the temple is a beautiful story. In fact, much of the Old Testament is about the temple. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of what God is intending for us as his creator as his creation, uh, made in his image to be priests and priestess in his temple worshiping him. And so this purpose that God has for us as worshipers. And I love that Bill said it's not just on Sunday morning. It's, it's intrinsic for who we are created to be, not just on Sundays, but Monday through the entire week. We are to live for the glory of God as we dwell with him. And this morning we're going to look at the church which is God's temple today in His story. In the Old Testament, we had the temple, a place, but now in the New Testament, because of the ministry of Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, there is now a new temple that God has made, the church. So my first job was uh, in Nebraska. uh, Before uh, I got my first job, I I was never paid. I I lived uh, overseas. Uh, so I couldn't get a normal job. It's kind of su- fun because my 13-year-old son got his first job, and uh, I-, I wasn't able to do that. I, I was just slave labor <laughs> most of my childhood to my parents, and then I went to boarding school. Um, and so I remember my first job, and I was so excited to go to tassel corn out in Nebraska. How many of you have just tasseled corn? <laughs> okay, every job I've had since has been better. <laughs> <laughs> But it was such a blessing. God knew he had a plan for my life, and he knew uh, I needed that time out in the fields, endless fields, pulling corn. And uh, in that summer, I was going to college. I, I was trying to figure out who I was, where I fit in this world, uh, what I was going to do with my life. and. I was pretty convinced I wanted to be a pilot, and so the school I was going to in Chicago had a had a great pilots program, and and that's that's what I wanted to do. I was excited. I I had a whole life of adventure that I thought I had in front of me doing that, and uh, that summer I had time out in the fields to pray and to seek God, and God was He was doing something in me. He was creating something new in me that summer. But the book that I I read over and over through the whole summer was the book of Ephesians in the Bible. And uh, I always tell tell people, this is a dangerous book. (laughs) It's dangerous to open it. It will change your life. And it did mine, because as I began to read the book of Ephesians, I began to understand God's story. And I began to understand His plan and His purpose. And I began to see that at the very center of that plan and purpose was something called the church. And uh, up to that point, I had attended church much as a kid, but I didn't really understand why or understand the importance of it. But that summer, God birthed something in me. (laughs) And I said, God, I don't know what my life's going to look like, but I want to spend the rest of my life being part of your purpose in the church. And I had no desire to be a pastor. I I didn't have a concept of what that would look like in my life. I just knew that the church was central and God's plan and His purpose. And I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to be right in the middle of it with God. And so God's birthed something in me that summer that has remained in me and is one of my great passions. And honestly, as I prepared this week, it it was so hard because I could talk about this for hours and hours, and and we only got like 20 20 minutes. So uh, hold on here because I'm going to try to share a few things. Uh, We can't cover everything, but... But the question that I think is so important is, why? Why, why has God chosen the church? And I, I hope we can g- begin to get our, our minds around that. But there's so many other questions. Like, I hope you leave here today with lots of questions. <laughs> like, why, why and how do we do certain things? Because it, it's such a beautiful thing. It's a growing thing. It's, it's a living thing. And so um, it's not a fixed thing, this thing of the church. And so it's really important to have the foundation of the temple in the Old Testament because it reminds us of the holiness of God. That God is not like us and that we are not like God. God is above. He's greater. I love what Isaiah says. His thoughts are above my thoughts. His ways are beyond our ways. And so God is holy. And the temple was a reminder of God's holiness, But it's also a picture of God's plan to dwell with his people. If there's one central theme from Genesis to Revelation is God's glory and his desire of that glory is to dwell or inhabit with his people. I love um, Ezekiel 37. where there's this beautiful picture out of the, the valley of dry bones and the Spirit of God brings life to these bones. But at the end of that vision, he tells Ezekiel is that his plan is to be the God of the people of Israel. And he says, my, my, my passion, my desire is to dwell with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. If there's one phrase throughout the Bible that's consistent, is God's desire to dwell with his people. We were created, we were meant to be in a relationship with God, to, in, to live with him. That's why Jesus, when he talked about the vine and the branches, he says, that they may abide in me and that I may abide with them, this dwelling place with God. That's the picture of the Garden of Eden, a dwelling place with God. And if you read Revelation, that's the final destiny for all of us, is that we will dwell in God's perfect creation he will be our God. And it says we won't need the sun or the moon, that he will supply all that we need, and all of human existence, all of human flourishing will come from the presence and the dwelling of God with his people. And so the temple's a reminder of this ultimate purpose, that God has chosen a people to dwell with them, and that we as people were created for a purpose. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, God has intrinsic value for every single person that reflects his image and his glory. And we're called to be priests and priestesses. Priest, I can't say that, I'm sorry. <laughs> priestesses who serve and worship and glorify God with our lives. It's a beautiful picture. So the, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, ekklesia literally means, and, and by the way, this isn't a religious word. Um, In the Roman Empire, there were ecclesias, there were um, um, committees or or groups that were specifically called this. And so uh, the the early Christians didn't make up this word. This was a word that was commonly used, commonly understood. And it, it literally means a called out assembly. Called out means it has a special purpose. It has a special function. Like, it exists for a reason. <laughs> it's not just there to be there. It's, it, it, you're called to something particular, something important. And so in the ancient world, a lot of times a city council would be called a cleosea. Like, they have a specific role, a specific function, a specific job that they have to do together. And so it's also... A plural word, meaning it's it's a plurality. It's it's more than one person (laughs) called to this specific purpose. That's really important for us. There's a reason that God chose this word (laughs) for us. And so we have to understand when we talk about the church from the biblical standpoint, we're not talking about this building. Uh, We're not talking about an organization. We're talking about a people who are called out for a specific purpose, a specific function, certain things that God has called us to be and to do together. And the phrase that Paul uses in his letters over and over is we are united in Christ, united in Christ. And, and, and that, that is the most profound, most beautiful thing in the whole scripture, that phrase that we are united in Christ. That, that we find our purpose, we find our being, we find our, our function, who we are in Christ. All of us as individuals in Christ, but together that is the church. And so in the in the scripture, the church is both universal i, I, I are in global. So some of you have traveled And one of the beautiful things I've experienced is as I've uh, traveled in different countries, and different places, and as I've worshiped with other Christians who are in Christ, there's something beautiful where I'm in China, in the the mega city of China, and and we're singing amazing grace together, and we're fellowshipping, and we're sharing our testimonies, or I'm in the villages of Guatemala, or in the slums of Nairobi. I experience something beautiful beautiful because God's church is global. It's universal. He has people in every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. And we experience that when we encounter other Christians. There's There's a unity in the spirit that we find everywhere we go with other Christians. So the church is both universal or global, but it's also local. It's local. And most of the time, but vast majority of the time, of how the church is viewed in the New Testament is always expressed locally, tangibly, with real people. <laughs> and this is the part we struggle with, because we love the universal global church, this idea that God has people everywhere, and that we're part of this vast movement of God choosing people to be in relationship, covenantal relationship with Him because of His atonement in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's astounding. It's wonderful. But then the messiness of the reality that, man, we have to be united in Christ with him or her, <laughs> right? Real people who have real struggles, idiosyncrasies, challenges. I love all the New Testament is geared towards the reality that the church is local. That people are united in Christ together in a certain place, physically together Uh, This is so important for us in the Bible. It says Jesus rose bodily from the grave. And so for us, the resurrection isn't just a spiritual thing. He bodily conquered death. It's physical. It's tangible. The disciples could touch him. And so when God says the church is local, it's touchable. (laughs) It's tangible. It's real. It's not just an idea or a concept. It's real people living together in the presence of God. And so it's local. I love in Romans 16, Paul just, in, in how he ends his letters, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for me. And So these are real people. These are people that Paul knows. These are people who are, are risking their lives for each other. They love each other. We're just saying that. They will know that we are Christians by our love, right? Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are great. So he uses that word ecclesia. So these gatherings of local believers in different places greet them there's relationship, they're known by one another, and then he says, greet also the church that meets in their house. This is Priscilla and Aquila. And so it's local, it's tangible, and so we as people of God, the people in Christ, we are here, we're in the Rimrock house (laughs) this morning, but the church isn't the building, the church is the people. It's you and I together. And so we're going to look at three things about the church in the New Testament. One, as the new temple, as the church, it's our identity. It's our identity in Christ. It's not a place we go. It's not something we watch online. It's not just about listening to a pastor speak, or singing some songs, or a service we go to, or a meeting. It's our identity in Christ. Now, I got to tell you, this is what This is what radically changed my life that summer as I read through the Ephesians. Because as a young man, I was trying to figure out who I am. Where do I fit in this world? And when I began to realize God's story and His plan, I began to realize my identity is in Christ. Uh, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, there's a, this long run on sentence. Paul is so excited he can't use periods. He just goes on and on and on about how God has lavished his blessing and his love, and he's adopted us as children, as sons and daughters, and that we are called to be his, his people. We belong to his family. It's our identity. We don't have time to read all these scriptures, but I j- I'm just going to put up four different pictures that the New Testament gives us that the church is Jesus' body. Now now this is an important metaphor because you, you can't just leave your body. Your body is you, right? You, you you like your arms, your fingers, your nose, your eyes, your hair, right? If you have hair, you know. We we our body is part of us, right? And so the church is Jesus' body. So so it's his. He's the head, he's in charge. This is his people, but we are part of that body. And so this is the, the manifested, embodied presence of Jesus in the world and his people. Jesus' is bride. I mean, this, this is the most fundamental, foundational identity stuff. Our bodies, if you're married, your husband, your wife, that, this is the closest, most intimate, deepest identities that we carry. And God is saying, this is the church. This is who you are. You're Jesus's body, you're Jesus's bride, you're Jesus's family. Jesus's family. Jesus's temple, his house, where God will dwell by his spirit. And so if this is our identity, and there's others in the New Testament, the vine and the branches, the shepherd and the flock, the nation and the king, these are all pictures for us to begin to understand that as the church, this isn't something we... we, we Tend or watch or consume. This is something that we are. We can't separate this from our faith. This is intrinsic into God's story, into who he's created us to be as human beings. And so that question of why, why do we come together? Why do we commit our lives to each other as Christians, as part of, as, as as of Jesus' body, as his bride, as his family, as his temple? Why do we do that? And so first, it's our identity. In Ephesians 3, I want to read this scripture. And if you have your Bibles, you can open it. If not, it's going to be here. This is so beautiful. He finishes talking about our relationship with Jesus because of his gift of grace for us and dying for our sins. And so we, we, many of us come to faith. This is, it's a personal faith, right? We, we experience the grace of God in the gospel, we, we responded to that, that invitation that Jesus laid down his life for us. And so now we are forgiven. We are free. We are, we, are, we are set free from our sin and shame and guilt. We are no longer dead in our sins, but we are made alive. And so then he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with God's people. And so when you accepted Jesus, it wasn't just a personal decision. It was an invitation to be part of God's family. You were brought in. You were made a citizen, (laughs) right? And we know the value of citizenship, don't we? It's so valuable, so important. You're members of God's household, His, His house that He is dwelling, His temple that He is making, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Himself, as the chief cornerstone. So what do we all have in common? Because I bet if we all talk to each other, we have so much that's not in common. But what brings us together? What unites us? Jesus. (laughs) We're being built on him. He is the chief cornerstone. Uh, I was talking to Donovan this past week as an architect. If If you don't get that first stone right, the whole building will collapse, right? The whole structure is built on that. And so that's why when we sang that song, This We Believe, that's our foundation, who Jesus is. Let's read the scripture in 1 Peter. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you individually, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So you're, some, you're part of something bigger that God is doing you have a personal relationship with God, but then he's, he's inviting you to be part of this great structure that he's building to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. And so in the Old Testament, the people brought sacrifices, but now Paul says in Romans 12 that you are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, right? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we were created to be worshipers. We were created to be priests in God's kingdom, right? Right? And then I'm going to skip a little bit, verse 9. But you also are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He's talking to us corporately as the church, that you may declare the praises of him. And so I want you to catch this. Why do we come together? It's not so that we can feel better about ourselves or that we can... um, Like, so often we think, okay, I'll go to church and I'll like it or I don't like it. But but what he's saying here is that the reason God made us that we exist is to declare his praises. (laughs) It's not about us. It's about God's glory. And one of the great prayers I have and one of the great dangers is that we would come like on a Sunday morning, we make it about ourselves, and, and, and pastors are, are so guilty of this as well, and we, we try to take that center place, but, but the reality is God is the center. We exist because of Him. He's the chief cornerstone. We're built on Him, and it's only because of Him that we have our life and our being, and so we praise Him. He's at the very center of it all, who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Praise God, the sun came out, right? Right? My, my wife always struggles in the winter. She's like, when's the sun going to come out? And then the sun comes out, and it's like, hope, life. That's what God is doing. He's bringing us into a wonderful place, a new creation, a new place. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the birth of the church is at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Go back and read it sometime this week, Acts chapter 2. It says the people were praying, just 120 of them, scared because they had just killed Jesus. And Jesus said, just wait, I have a gift for you. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. We can only have our being as a church because of the presence of God, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who inhabits his people. And so the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is individual, but it's also corporate. And so the Spirit is manifested when we come together. When we come together and we share our lives with each other, when we praise God together, the Spirit of God is manifested. And there's so much imagery in Acts 2. I wish we had time to explore that, but wind, fire. These are images from the Old Testament that signify the dwelling of God with his people. God is with us. He is in us. He's working through us as a people. And so we need to be that reminder. Every week we come together because we need that reminder of who we are. How do we fit in this world? We have to be reminded that we are the dwelling place of God. (laughs) That we are called worshipers, priests, And priestesses in the kingdom of God. We have a significant role to play in this life. God has a purpose for us, that we are being formed into our true identity. And so the discipline of regularly coming together, and I love what Jeannie shared this morning, both in small community, because being part of the church means you need to be known, and you need to give, and to share, because we can't not come into church as consumers, we come to give. We come to give, and it's in giving that we experience the blessing of God, because we experience the purpose of God. And so we come into the discipline of gathering together, of sharing our lives together, of confessing our sins together, of praying for one another, of serving one another. We do that because God is forming us in our identity. He's shaping us to be certain kinds of people. Because remember, God is holy, and he calls us in 1 Peter. He said, now you are being called to be part of this new family, this new household, and so we live different kind of lives in this world. And so that gets into our second point. So church is our identity, and church is the community of transformation. Transformation. God doesn't leave us the same. He calls us to be holy people, set apart. Remember the word church means called out? We don't live the same way. We don't act the same way. We're different. We're strange. Peter calls us exiles in this world. We live such different, weird lives sometimes. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you've experienced that as a Christian where you're in the workplace or in your place, and they're like, why, why do you do that? That's so weird. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but it's so attractive, Right? That transformation because the Spirit of God is in us, making us into new kinds of people. Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, in fact, Paul loved that word prisoner. He called himself a prisoner, he called himself a slave because of the strangeness of being known as God's people. It's different. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And, and here, starting in the rest of Ephesians, he talks about the transformed life. He says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't that interesting? Unity requires effort, <laughs> it doesn't just happen. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. It's the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But it's a transformed life. It's different. What's different? Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, loving one another. Like Paul said of a Priscilla and Priscilla, they laid down their lives for the other. I don't know if we got this done, but, but I asked uh, Amy to print out something that says all the one another passages in the Bible. And so there, there's hundreds and hundreds of passages that says one another. How do we live in a community of transformation? It gets worked out as we serve one another, as we, as we forgive one another, as we share our lives with one another. This is what it means to be the church. It means we give ourselves to other followers of Christ. We share our lives with others. We're not consumers, we're givers. And it's in giving that we experience life. We care for one another. And uh, Jeannie shared earlier about just this incredible, difficult year she's been through, and, and her testimony of, of the power of the church, the body of Christ, coming alongside, caring. Just last night I was with a couple who went through a very difficult period through a surgery, and they said, God's people came around us, and we experienced the love and the presence of God. This is, this is why God has called the church to be a people, that belong to him where he dwells. We experience transformation in that process. Thirdly, and lastly, and by the way, the next two Sundays, we're going to dive deeper into being a community of transformation. I call it God's personal mission. and then the third point here, that we're called to be sent by God as a mission, God's mission into the world. John 17, Jesus looked at his disciples. He says, "My father sent me." and now I send you." That's a scary verse. (laughs) That's a a life-altering verse. Jesus said, the Father sent me into the world, and now I send you. The church isn't to be a social club. We don't exist just for ourselves. God has a bigger purpose. He called us to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world, and so he wants to work through us to bring about blessing and goodness to the world around us. Look at 1 Peter 2 with me, verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Again, that's, that words are used over, like, as the church, you're different. You're, you're not like all the people around you. There's a different reality with God in our midst. He's changing us. And so we're foreigners, we're exiles, we don't belong in this world system to abstain from sinful dire- desires which wage war against your souls. And here's the, here's the mission part. Live such godly and good lives among the pagans. So, so how we live matters because it's part of who we are, our identity as the church. Among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and boy, our culture shifted, right? Our, our culture has embraced paganism and has rejected Christ. We live in a, in a world that's changed as Americans, much like the world that the early Christians were in 1 Peter. And so we're different. We stick out, but we live such good lives. This is God's mission to bring goodness, to bring blessing to people around us, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds. And what, what happens? They glorify God. And so we're not exalting ourselves. We're not saying, hey, look how good we are. We're saying, look at our God. We're worshipers. Look at him. He's glorious. He's good. He's awesome. Look at who he is. So that they may glorify God on the day he visits. This is God's mission. How is God making known his glory in this world? Through you. (laughs) Through me. He doesn't have any other plan. This is his plan. This is his story. He is forming the church. He is building up his people so that we can be agents of blessing in this world. I love what Paul calls us ambassadors. 2nd Corinthians 5, and we'll end with this passage. I'll go ahead and call the worship team. Come on up, guys. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so are you here this morning in Christ? Can you say, I'm in Christ? <laughs> oh, praise God. Praise God that you're in Christ. The new creation has come. And so the whole story, where, where all of human history is headed God is making something new. He's making a new world. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. It's coming, but he's starting in you. He's starting in me. The transformation is happening. It's, it's happening by the Holy Spirit. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. And so as a church, we're given a ministry. And I'm not just talking about the organization. I'm talking about you and me together. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, but he has committed to us. He's entrusted to us. He said, this is the most precious thing. My very son was crucified, and this is the most precious thing I have, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to share this with you. He's given us this message We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And he's not talking to pastors here. (laughs) He's not talking about me. He's talking about us together. He's entrusted it to us. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, as we just so briefly look at this amazing story, this amazing purpose that you revealed to us in your word, that we are the church. We're called to be your people that you dwell in by your Holy Spirit. We're called to be a transformed community, God. You're making us into new kinds of people. And we're called to be on mission with you, God. To this world that desperately needs it. God, we, we wake up every morning and we just, we hear about darkness. We hear about destruction and chaos and, and so much brokenness. And yet, God, you say that you love this world so much that you sent Jesus, your one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus, he said, just as I came in the world, I now send you. And Paul says, how can they know unless we tell them? So, God, give us the courage to say something, to declare the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the beauty of God. This world needs it, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Let us be your hands and feet, God, as you intended. Release us, Lord, by your power and your grace, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, amen.